On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to speak with Tracy Strike at Renter's Place in Oklahoma, and he's going to talk to us about how he has created some syndicated property projects. With those projects, he's making more money and having an easier time managing properties than he does with the traditional property management. That's next on Bootstrappers. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics that matter to real estate entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Jeremy Aspen, along with my spouse and sweet co-host, Gwen Aspen. Um, we have an exciting show for you today where we're going to talk uh, about uh, property property man- property syndication uh, with our guest, Tracy Strike. Did I say that right? You did, yeah. Okay, it all sounds good so far. The president of Renner's Place, uh, and they're in Oklahoma City, as well as Realis Property Management, uh, Tulsa, to be precise. I cannot wait to get to that. Yeah. So Bootstrappers is sponsored by Anaquim. Anaquim is a company that helps property management and real estate companies be more successful. Whether you need a virtual assistant or a 24-hour call center for maintenance, leasing, or call overflow... Or you just need some back office support, Anaquim has you covered. And someday we're going to have to talk about that back office support thing because um, there's some new stuff there. Um, also, uh, if you're a fan of the show, if you'd uh, share with your friends and like and subscribe on YouTube and leave us a nice message uh, and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we will send you a little gift afterwards, which Tracy will tell us what that is. Uh, a little bit later on in the show. We can't forget to do that. No, we, um, what we're going to do is we're going to send a book to the first uh, review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, that'll be, that'll send be those reviews. Yeah, we'll tell you how in a second. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that'll be the giveaway for this week. So let's get right to it. Um, I'm excited to talk about uh, this topic of property syndication because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I don't know much about We're it. We're going to learn about I, I, it. I kind of conceptually can put it together. Uh, but so there, there, we'll get into the whole bunch of the specifics. Tracy has uh, quite a bit of experience in that. Um, just a little bit of a twist to what uh, property management is. So let's introduce Tracy. Tracy. Hi, how are Tracy. You doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank we, you guys for having me on. Yeah, we've I so I've known Tracy for years. Um, we met at at some probably a NARPM conference. No, probably a rent manager conference. I think it was NARPM first, and then okay, rent and manager conferences rent after. Yeah, that. and so. then when you don't go, come to the conferences, Tracy takes care of. You. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's which right. I really appreciate. I never really have got to appreciate. I always send pictures. Here I am with your wife. Thanks. <laughs> So, um, so I want to know a little bit more about Renters Place and Realis Property Management. Can you tell us a little bit about what you got going on over there? Sure. So we are a mainly single family property management company. We do some small multifamilies, uh, things like that in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. The majority of our uh, portfolios in Tulsa, we opened up in Oklahoma City at the beginning of, the, of this year, which I mean, what? Better time to open Sweet. up in a new market. Uh, nice, right. Right. Nice <laughs> <one. laughs> well, you so, get to be in your car uh, longer to get to your properties. Mm. 
Well, that's I, I isolate in my car, so that's what I tell myself. Perfect. That's why it's good to, to drive to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is not that far. I mean, it's an hour and 20 minutes. Um, you know, my one of my staff persons here used to live in Houston and drive an hour and a half one way just to get to work. So I feel oh, like yeah. it's so it doesn't probably so not that bad. Uh, it sounds like a long ways if you're in uh, Nebraska and Oklahoma. Well, Tulsa's but. a lot like Omaha. I've been there. Um, and it's pretty flat. <laughs> and it has strip malls on the outskirts, lots of strip malls. Um, but it's you can get like geez, it's it's like Lincoln. It's for good Nebraska, quality of life. Yeah, right. good quality of life. Right. So with so, renters, oh sorry, I didn't mean to go cut ahead. You off. No, with, no. With renters' place, you've done this uh, syndication, this property or real estate syndication four times. Is that correct? That's correct. So. I don't How know. How do you do any- it one time? <laughs> <What's> <laughs> <that>? <laughs> Let's you start know, there. It's kind of like, I'll tell you, it's kind of like property management. You, I always just kind of fall backwards into it. And the next thing you know, you're doing it. And you're so rich. You should, Boom. Yeah, that's right. Boom. I mean, I've, I've got to get off here in about 10 minutes to get to my daily massage, but <laughs> I guess I can put them off a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like property management in that we kind of came up with this idea and I didn't even know it was called syndication. But I mean, I was like, you know what we should do? We should put together a group of investors and, and like pool their money and then go buy some property. And Derek was like, yeah, maybe that, that's a pretty good idea. Let's maybe, maybe we should do that. And I was telling somebody about it and he goes, you know, you mean you're going to do a syndication? And I was like, um, let me look that up real quick. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to do a syndication. It's not as unique a thought as I guess I thought it was. So, and you know, Gwen, you had called it a REIT. And I've heard people call like what we've done, like a micro REIT. Mm. So kind of the difference in a REIT and a syndication would be, you know, I think of a REIT as like a Wall Street investment where they've got, you know, $70 billion invested in real estate all over the United States. It's very heavily regulated by the SEC mm. um, as far as disclosures and investments and things like that. You can't, really, you can't really rip off your clients in a REIT, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And a syndication, <laughs> if you do it right, doesn't require as much of that you know, SEC disclosure. I mean, people have been I mean, I could call you guys up and say, hey, you guys want to throw in $100,000 a piece and buy, you know, a couple houses in Tulsa. And I mean, that's sold. like what a syndication is. Sold. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm done. I mean, I checks in the mail. So, okay. so what was the year that you did the very first one? Oh, that was 65, 66. No, I don't know. Like five <laughs> years ago. <laughs> okay. So you've done four. Yeah. We've done four. And so, it started five years ago. So it seems like this right. was it. A, tell us how wh- what we need to know to if we were to get one started, what would well, the so, steps so be? I guess the starter is, is it uh, one house that you're syndicating, um, soliciting investments for? Or is it a package of houses or is it a multiplex in your case? I mean, you can do it with any of them, of course. Right. So two, the first two we did were with two duplex communities. So the first one had 16 duplexes, so 32 doors, and then the next one had 18 duplexes. Um, and we pulled together the money, did some rehabs on those, and you know, up the rents. And we don't have, just so you know, we don't have any right now. We've already taken them from buy, rehab, max out the rent, and resell them. So um, 
we've, we sold both of those. And then the next two we did were single family homes. So we identified a geographical area and said, okay, we are going to buy single family homes with, and these are the geographic boundaries. So a couple of highways, a couple of main arterial streets and said, everything's going to be within those parameters. So, um, one of those had, I want to say it had 28 homes and the other one had about 37 homes in it. Okay. So they're big deals. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're not, I mean, there's not really a need to, I mean, I guess maybe if you're in California and it costs you, you know, $850,000 to buy a three bedroom, two bath house out there, maybe it's, you know, you could do one with three or four houses, but you know, we, we're typically in that, uh, hundred thousand dollar home range on mm-hmm. those. Okay. So, you know, somewhere between three and 4 million, uh, when all is said and done on each of those. So for acquisition, uh, you're at a hundred thousand mm-hmm. or when you're selling it must be on the acquisition side. Acquisition with repairs. So maybe oh, we might okay. buy something for 80, but we're putting 20 in it. Okay. So the total acquisition cost on that house is about a hundred thousand. Um, obviously we want it to be more than that when we're liquidating. So how many investors would you have, uh, did you have on any of those deals? Um, so on each of those, we probably had as little as six and as many as 11. Okay. And so can you tell us now that you've done this four times, what is the ideal investor for one of these? If people are looking and starting one. Okay. So what's the ideal investor that can I come back to that in a minute? Yeah. Because I, I would, I'd rather talk about like what exactly it is, how we set it up and then talk about the ideal investor. All right. Because Let's when do I that. get down to one of the things I learned, oh. one of those things is it's not what I thought. Okay. Got it. So we, that, I think that can kind of be a summary point at the end. Let's of, do that. You know, so you know, when I look at what it is, and it's kind of like if it's easier for people to look at, and based on what you just said, Jeremy, they can kind of see it. It's like investing in a stock versus in a mutual fund. So if I'm just buying Apple, all my money hinges on what Apple does. But if I buy, you know, Vanguard Trust, you know, mid-market cap, something or other, you know, they've got, they may have 50 different companies in that. So it's, it's a little bit more even on your investment. Instead of doing a lot of up and downs, you're looking for nice and steady with a little bit of uptick. So as an investor, why would you want to invest in one of these? So if I'm going to investor A and saying, Jeremy, we want you to invest in this, why would you want to do it? I look at it. So I look at, at this stuff kind of from a property management perspective and a rental home owner perspective. So if I own one house and it's vacant for a month, and it's my only house, and you probably have, you know, investors like this in your uh, property management company. They start freaking out, right? right? Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh crap! What am I going to do?" They they email you and call you twice a day. Is at least? Is at least? Is at least? What are we going to do? What do we need to make a concession? And you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, deep breath. Yeah, it's deep a process. Breath. We'll get you there. Deep breath. Thanks Same for thing letting. We didn't know that your house was available. Ooh, right, right. Uh, we we just totally missed that. <laughs> yeah. Or or the air conditioner goes out, and you're like, "Hey, you got a tenant in here." Um, it's the end of July and the air conditioner's out and we need $5,500 to replace the air conditioner. And they're like, well, I, I didn't even think about saving $5,500 for an air conditioner. What am I going to do? Uh, uh, yeah. How about you don't invest in property? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, that, would, that would be, 
The <laughs> but if you've choice. got an investor that's got 15 properties and he's got one vacant, he probably doesn't even notice that blip, right? Or he says, hey, what, one of your air conditioners went out. Well, I got rent from you know, 14 other homes to cover mm-hmm. the air conditioner, so it's not a big deal. So I look at that from a uh, from a investor in a REIT. That was one of our big pitches to our investors: is why have all your eggs in one basket? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think HGTV and Bigger Pockets and podcasts like oh, this have yeah. made um, made it a whole lot more sexy to be in real estate. So it's not a tough sell. Like, hey, you want to invest in real estate? Because they'd love to be able to tell their friends they've invested in you this. You know what? I think that's so true. There's a low barrier of entry in real estate. And a lot of that is because um, the homes qualify for some version of a subsidized conventional loans, right? I mean, it, they make it so that you can buy uh, four plexes or less mm-hmm. relatively easily. Um, right. You just have to basically, it used to be you just had to say that you made so much money and boom, okay, now you qualify. And then you can get one. And I've got friends that would have, oh geez, uh, like 60 units. And what they prided themselves on and and where their goals were was on unit count. They wanted to have so many units by the time they were so old. And that's not (laughs) the goal. Like here's some advice for anybody that's looking at investing in property. Do it for the money. Right, like, right. Like, like put together uh, an idea, concept that's going to make money. Don't put yourself in this weird situation where uh, you've got more units than you probably should be able to afford, and you're you're struggling on the cash flow. You let probably got them for close to no money down, or you finagled some way of pulling all your cash mm-hmm. out. So every time there's a five thousand um, dollar outlay, you don't have it. Just right. that's just a tidbit. Why don't you get just take that advice and run with it? That should keep some people out of the industry. So we can work <laughs> well, everybody. With more, everybody more loves money. no money down, right? That's oh yeah, all we do it with other people's money. Uh, it's yeah. just it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, for sure. For oh, sure. Yeah. So, so as as we're looking at putting these together, as you know, Derek and I are always bouncing crazy ideas off the wall and seeing what sticks. And we're like, okay, why would we even want to start a syndication? from a property management perspective. So, I mean, that's our, that's our bread and butter mm. is property management. Now, do we own homes? Yes, we own some of our own homes. We own some, own some other investments. Um, and we've done these syndications, but it's like, okay, what, what feeds our property management machine? And the thought was, well, let's say we're going out and buying 35 single family homes. Well, one, we get to add 35 single family homes to our portfolio to manage we know a little bit about the homes before we're getting into it. It's not just the random owner calling up and say, Hey, I've got seven homes. And you say, all right. And next thing you know, you find out that, you know, the wood's falling off and there's no sheetrock inside and they haven't had heat, heat in three years. And you're like, Oh, well, wish we wouldn't have taken that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get, the other thing is we get to be part of the deal. So as we set up oh. the syndication as, and we set it up and I'll talk about this in a second. We did it on a, a GPLP agreement. So general partner, limited partner. So we were the general partners and we got a percentage of the ownership of the fund just because we were the general partners. We're managing the fund. We're setting it up. We're doing all that. So we get a little piece of that pie. And our other thought was there's going to be less churn from a property management perspective because as the general partner on those 35 homes, we are not going to fire us as the property manager. And 
we don't have these individual owners. These let's say we've got ten people in on it, and they all put in a hundred thousand dollars. So they put in a million dollars. Those guys aren't looking at a monthly statement and saying, "Well, why did we spend eighty-five dollars on a garbage disposal?" Or why? Did, I mean, they're not looking at that. They are just looking at their return. Right. So they're not as interested on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis on the house. Now we are, but. You and don't have a that lot pressure. Of our, a lot of our time calls. is, you know, eaten up with those owner questions. And we're like, okay, if we can get, you know, 35, 75 houses where we are the quote owner and manager, it, it just makes it easy from our perspective from a property management side to take care of those homes. So we um, used to have the, this building sold for a lot of money, but uh, he, he would, his name is Chris. Chris would call us. We would have one meeting a year. And we would talk about how the property went the past year, and we would put together a plan for the next year. And what we having that kind of a client, I mean, obviously he was in a position where he wasn't feeling like an eighty-five dollar uh, disposal is going to be right. a problem. But it it also made it so that we decided that we wanted more clients like that because we mm-hmm. don't have to spend twenty or thirty percent of our time having a discussion about something the investor can do nothing about, right? right? And now, now of course, there are opportunities, and I'm sure it happens in industry where people get ripped off. You know, if you don't trust right. your property manager and you think they're stealing from you, you know, check into it, drill down. But if you've teamed up with the right property management company, then you really should just be able to leave them alone and look right. at your investment like you look at your TD Ameritrade mm-hmm. uh, invest, yeah. uh, statement. Right. right. There's got to be a certain level of trust. I mean, one of my best friends is a financial advisor and I'm like, he's, he's got a lot of money of mine and other people's that he manages. And I don't call him every three days and say, hey, I was online looking at my account. And I was wondering why you traded out that one at that particular hour. Because if you would have held it for one more day, we could have made another $75. You, yeah. you want to split the difference? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's perfect. What do you mean willing to split that with me? Uh, I love it. That's the way that goes. Okay. So Tracy, tell us more about starting up the syndication. Okay. And one last thing on why we liked it. And if you, if you think about it as a property manager, you're also the broker on this deal. Oh, right. So you get to make money in all three ways that you can make it there. So we made money from a brokerage side, when we acquisition of the property, then we making money in the middle of managing the property. And then we make money on the end again with the, with the sale of the property. So that's kind of a nice, a nice thing for us as a brokerage. And, you know, we don't have to charge a typical full fee, but I mean, even if you're making one and a half, 2% on that, it's, it's nice. Do you sell, uh, do you sell the package or do you sell the property individually? Well, Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> we did both. Okay, okay, we did both. You know, because I've always told people the reason I like single family when it comes to investment is I've got a lot of different exit strategies. Mm-hmm. I can sell it to a, as a package, or I can sell it to the newly married couple, Jeremy and Gwen, who are all excited to own their first house and they're going to pay too much and all that good stuff, and sell it for full retail. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you own the uh, you know T-Mobile building down on the corner, I mean, it's 
what do they what do they want to know? What's the cap rate? That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, there's no emotion that goes into buying that building. Mm-hmm. So even a multiplex, that's more the, the right. You're on a multiplex. You're buying the cap rate. You know, right. How much is it worth to you? And that is and you can sell single family on a cap rate, but you, bet, you can you also sell it full retail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, full retail. I mean, if you and you've rehabbed all of these, so there's a mm-hmm. decent chance that going straight to the consumer is going right. to come with a have a little bit more of a premium. Correct. All right, so what else you got? I love this life. stuff. Yeah, I love, I love this. Okay, stuff. so how do, how do you set it up? Um, I, I generally I talked about that just briefly. There's really three ways you can set it up. You can have a a GPLP, which is the general partner and the limited partner. And that's the way we set ours up. And and the reason we did that is so the general partner is typically on the hook from a lending perspective and not the limited partner. So that's part of the uh, enticement for the limited partners. So, so I think say, is that, you know, can you look at that as kind of A and B stock? Is that, it, are the, yes, you still have yes. the A and B? Yes. Okay. So you could do it as a, a an LLC with limited membership as well for A and B, or you could do a straight LLC and put everybody on the loan. To me, that's a really complicated way to do it because I mean, I don't know how you're going to get 10 people to show up and sign docs and and Mm -hmm. do stuff like that. So part of the enticement for the investor was, Hey, you're putting in your X amount, say it's a hundred thousand dollars and that's all you've got in it. You don't have to worry about the loan, the lending, stuff like that. The general partners are worrying about that. And that's part of what you're taking on as a general partner for your percentage, which is typically about 20% of the deal. Um, oh, really? So partner. of yeah. the equity position, you you take Correct. 20%? Okay. Well, that's mm-hmm. a great number. It is. Um, but you are the general and so are on the hook for right. the loan or should anything happen, insurance. Right. Correct. Okay. Yep. Um, so, you know, this is where people start to get into a bunch of the SEC questions on what's allowed, what's not allowed. Are you selling um, shares? Like I'm guessing they actually own shares of the company. They own shares. So that's what we're, we set up the general partnership. And then you, if Jeremy and Gwen were buying in, they would buy shares in that partnership. Um, and we, you can't just, it's one of those things where, so you have to say, you've got to sign off that says you're a qualified investor which, you know, there's minimums on what your income is and your um, total asset value of all your stuff personally. But it's not, we don't have to review that based on the way we set it up. I don't have to say, Jeremy, give me all your financials and prove to me that you're a qualified investor. Mm -hmm. I say, here's this form, sign it. You say you're a qualified investor and that's the, that's what the, that's what's required. Um, And you can only raise money from people that you know. So, I is think that's that right? very that's very loose. Yeah, like you can go meet them, right? So now do I know them? But I think the thing is, what you can't do is like I mean, you can't like put a big ad in the newspaper right. or online or throw it up on a billboard and just get random people showing up for your offering. So is that a state or IRS? Uh, that's an IRS. That's a federal regulation. Really? Okay. And a lot of it's called Regulation D. So if you do Reg D syndication on a Google search, you're going to get more information than you know what to do with. Um, but, you know, to make sure we did it right, we hired an attorney. And I will say that this is where you get a little barrier to entry on some of this stuff. It's not cheap to get it started. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just the just the paperwork portion to get it right was a little over twenty thousand dollars. Oh wow! Well, so, so what you could do to be really nice is just uh, give us everything that you've got, copy paste, put it in another document, yeah. and we'll just give it to everybody for free. I'll post it tonight. So <laughs> okay. yeah. All right, great. <laughs> Thanks. Just, just one little. You got to log into the deal, and I think the login password's like. I don't remember what we said. 15,000, something like okay, that. Okay, good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you buy shares in the partnership and then in those documents, you lay out your plan, but you obviously have to come up with your plan ahead of time. So, you know, some of my notes on, on what's in your plan, are you going to buy new construction? Are you buying apartments, office, retail, um, single family homes, duplexes? So you got to kind of go into it. And, and we had, uh, it was called a, uh, with our bank, it wasn't really a line of credit. We, but we got pre-approved with basically said, Hey, here's what we're doing. We're buying homes within, you know, these boundaries, which they liked. Okay. Yeah. We, we like that. We want to be in those parts of town. Um, and we're going to have X amount of cash because we knew what was coming in from the investors. And then based on that, we want to borrow X amount of money. So let's say we wanted to borrow, say we raised a million and we wanted to borrow 3 million. So it was a $4 million deal and they a guidance line. I knew it would come to me. So we would go out and buy the properties with cash and then just refinance them with that guidance line mm. and, you know, pull, pull as much cash back out as we could every time until you're out of cash, you're, you're not buying anymore. So um, it kind of operates like a construction loan, it sounds like. Is it yeah. stepped in the same way or is it kind of more Very, flip- very flip- similar. I mean, they didn't really put any guidelines on us like, well, you can't spend more than X on a house. They're just looking at it from a, I mean, and it's a bank we've had a very long-term relationship mm-hmm. with. So that helps. I mean, they understand what we do and how we've done it in the past and they know we're not going to go buy a $100,000 house and try and pass it off as a $190,000 house and um, and, and lever yeah. up and use the cash for something right. else. Um, so some other things you need to consider is because they all ask your investors, how long is this going to be? What, how long are you going to have my cash? Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it a three year, five year, seven year? A lot of the commercial retail ones are 10 years. Um, so if they're building a new, you know, strip commercial center, um, those are typically 10 year deals. Uh, what happens if one of the limited partners wants out? Uh-huh. And that's happened more than once. Sure. You know, all of a sudden they're like, hey, I got this other deal. What will it take to get my money back? Well, have you heard of the term a haircut? <laughs> you know, you're going <laughs> to, right? So <laughs> listen, maybe maybe you put 50000 in and we can get you 50000 back. But I mean, based on market value, I mean, your 50000 your 100 shares, uh, you know, that's worth 75000 now. So it's not that hard to find somebody to buy it out. And it's typically in, in our case, it was always one of the other investors. And we even wrote that in our documents, you know, the other investors had the first right of refusal. So Jeremy wants to sell his 50. I go to Gwen and say, Hey, we got 50 more shares. Do you want them? She's like, shoot. Yeah. Jeremy's an idiot. I'm like, well, we know that. Always but- um, so, you know, all that's spelled out. So, so we also, it has to go that share that $50,000, goes back through the company and then to the investor. So you are Correct. buying it for 50. They're not negotiating amongst each other like, okay, this is... No, no, no. Right, right. No, okay. if you want to sell it, you come to us. And actually, I believe the way we wrote it is the general partner has the first right. Limited partners have the second right. Mm. 
then outside of the partnership, which is pretty nice as a general partner. I mean, we bought some stuff back that they were like, well, I, I, I need to sell. Who Can you find somebody to buy? And we're like, we'll get you a check tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we'll got this. It. Yeah, because, I mean, you're three years into a deal that's appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, why wouldn't you buy it back at a discount? Yeah. Because you yeah. know it's already you, – you, you, I'm buying it back then knowing that it's already performing or overperforming or, or however it did. So, right. Do you ever hold – or would have you ever heard of any deals where you've got the investment you you acquire and then you manage and just maintain it so then the cash flow comes from the operation itself of the rental yes i think most investors though want some sort of payback on that initial i guess the question would be how fast can they get their initial contribution Mm -hmm. back on something like that and a lot of people go out and do a refi and pay that stuff back faster i don't I don't like doing that, and that's some of the other stuff in the in the what we've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people like to know an exit date. So what? And, and there may be something in there like, hey, at year five we're going to start shopping it, but we're going to try and be all out by seven, unless there's some other trigger that happens um, that says, okay, it's accelerated to this amount, and you know, two years in, if you can double your money, why wouldn't you go ahead and sell it? Right. So on the deals that you've done, did you do three, five? How many years were your specific ones? Our plan was five. Um, So on the duplex communities, we had some out-of-state buyers that were looking for stuff like that. Um, And they they bought them and we're happy to sell them at that price. The single family, um, as I mean... We actually sold out of one in retrospect, had I known what the market was going to do the last six months, maybe six months too early. Um, but I don't know if you, if you Google the gathering place, Tulsa, it's this big park that they built down on the river. I have heard of that. Huge. It's amazing. It's, it's like $750 million park. Yes. Um, it was like last year it was times number one attraction in the United States. But anyway, so we, as they announced that and, Wait, you is don't Tulsa build... technically the United States? Yes. Amber, didn't you guys go through a lawsuit? <laughs> Did we? Are we trying to? Are we trying to get the remove ourselves from? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we. Uh, it may be Indian land if that's what you're referring right, to, right, but it. uh, it's still. Uh, still I, I think the United we, States. We still have to pay taxes. Uh. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, so, you don't build something like that in like three months. I mean, it was a shutdown of everything down in that area for like three and a half years. And we thought, you know what? We should buy. So there's a, there's a little kind of up and coming. I mean, I don't say up and coming. It's a, one of those, you know how every town has the like little young married hippie hipster type of community. Nice. And it's called Brookside here. And it's always been a great place to buy homes. But we thought, you know what? We should buy Brookside and do a Brookside fund because we really feel like the property values are going to really spike. And the problem is our buying area was like a mile and a half by a mile and a half. And it took about six weeks to have bought every, every, and this acquisition is kind of a hard thing to do on these when you're Mm -hmm. doing single family one at a time. Like in six weeks, we had everything under contract that was available. And it's like, Oh, now what? (laughs) So it took a little longer to acquire the homes uh, we had to do some knocking, do some calling, um, but we ended up selling those um, to a builder who didn't even care about the homes on the lot. He just wanted the lots. Oh wow! Because it's in that area where they're you know they're paying one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to tear down a house to build an eight hundred thousand dollar house. Well, mm. we've got 
these hundred thousand dollar houses and he's willing to give us one hundred fifty thousand a house because he just wants the lots. We're like, yeah, okay, let's sell. Yeah, it. no, so, yeah, you didn't tell him that you were really disappointed that you weren't going to have to do all the construction work and then right. So you, well, the great thing is he's just tearing them down, and, and it worked out well for us from a management side. We're still managing them until he tears them down. So mm. he'll tear one down, build it, sell it, and uh, then say, okay, this this house on 45th, I need them out. We're going to build there. And then tear it down. So we just get to keep leasing them for him until he tears them down. So, I mean, so we're tearing is, them down, though. <laughs> what is the, what, what, the return that you kind of commit to or that you, generally speaking, can tell an investor? Well, the, the, so not we did the a, general, but the liable. Uh, right. So we did a we did a four percent preferred return on ours, which meant the investors, the limited partners, got a four percent return. It pretty much, it's it's not guaranteed, but it's almost guaranteed. Like if they if they don't get their four percent that quarter, it'll be made up the next quarter, so on. So it's owed to them. So even if we sell, you got to catch up your preferred returns before you. Pay out any distributions at the end. So we felt like we needed to do that because why would anybody just give us money to buy houses and pull this thing up? Because we'd never done it before. We didn't know if it would work. So that was kind of another one of our carrots that we did. Um, that's on my on what I would do differently. I would not offer a preferred return again, especially on a single family deal because mm. acquisition is difficult. So it's different if you say, Hey, uh, we're going to do a, uh, we're going to do a syndication on this 150 unit apartment building. That's already leased up. I mean, you close it first of the month comes, boom, you've got income coming in immediately. When you're buying 35 houses from zero, you've got to buy, you've got to renovate, you got to lease. I mean, it could take seven or eight months per house, depending on the, how much work needs to be done. Now, if you can find some that, you know, hey, it's a package of four and they're already leased, that's great. Um, but those are harder and harder to find now. Than, oh, than yeah, we're having the same problem here. So <laughs> we wouldn't do the preferred return. So on the operation of the fund, this is, I think, where we didn't know what we were getting into. We really understood the real estate side of it. On We know how to acquire property, fix property, lease property, do all that. The the, just the operation of the fund doesn't sound like it's that hard. It's a lot more time consuming than we had imagined. And what were the tasks that were super time consuming? Um, so it's, it's a little different than say, uh, you know, you've got an investor and you, boom, you just send them a monthly statement from rent manager and it kicks it out and it's all nice and pretty. You, you have to do those. You either have to, get a really expensive software to do that or you do it or maybe a combination of both. Um, but you're preparing those statements for the investors every quarter. So does and every investor get the same one or did they all kind of want their own little thing? No, they all get the same statement, but it's going to vary because maybe you've got 75 shares and Gwen's got 125 shares. Mm-hmm. So you got to individually do everybody's statement Here's your return. You know, here's your investment. Here's your return. Here's what it did. And we actually have a uh, we had a a website with an owner portal, so they could log in and say, "Hey, I want to see the Midtown Fund," and they could click on that, and it would have you know this house, this house, just every house description, what the rents are, 
things like that, kind of a back office that you have to fix for them to look at, prepare their returns, uh, figure the distributions, whether they're quarterly, annually, do all the 1099s for that. Um, we were sending out quarterly reports. I would, um, I think quarterly reports are good, but I would not do quarterly distributions mm -hmm. again. And that's what we were doing. So and it would just, it would take a lot of time. We're going to be backing up against the wall here time-wise, but so what are the things that you would do again or would not do? What are your takeaways? And okay. uh, so looking at it is like if there's somebody watching or listening, giving them advice. So what we would not do again, I'd mention the number one, we wouldn't do the preferred return. It's just too time consuming. And it's not like a typical rental home. I think most investors are okay. If they're putting $100,000 in your deal, you don't need to pay them every quarter. Yeah. You give it to it once a year, that's all they need. Um, we would not do the debt ratios that we did before. We were really trying to max out how much we could buy. Um, I think we would do less debt, more cash, and more reserves. Wouldn't the banks have made you do 20% or that, yes. the maximum? That's what we, that we did 80-20. Okay. I would probably do 65-35 ah. um, just because as the general partner – whose name is on the oh, loan. Oh yeah. I like the margin. It's the margin helps you rest a little bit mm -hmm. better. And I would specify my cash reserves. Like if I'm doing it per house, I would know every house how much our cash reserve is going to be on each one. So you make sure you don't spend too much on renovation on one house and not have enough mm -hmm. reserve for the other. Just things that would make me sleep better. Right. Are more cash on hand, less debt. Right. Mm-hmm. Um I'd be very specific on when the first return would be paid. Even if you're doing a preferred return, I would not do a return until one year into it, just because it takes a lot of time to get everything up and running sure. and smooth. And if you're doing a preferred return and somebody gives you $100,000 on January 1st and they're expecting their first quarter preferred, preferred return April 1st. That's coming out of your pocket. Like, well, geez, we, yeah. we haven't even gotten everything up and running yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so... There was a lot more time, and I mentioned this, a lot more time managing the investment versus just the property management side of it than we figured. And then back to your question a long time ago, Gwen. <laughs> the raising the money. Who do you go to to raise the money? So I thought that this was going to be the hardest part, raising the money. And I think everybody thinks that raising the money is going to be the hardest part. It is not. If you put together a good investment and you have a good presentation and you go to the right people, so who are the right people? But you go to the right people that you know they're going to be lining up to put stuff in. So the first round of the right people are the people around you that already know what you do and trust you. Mm -hmm. And then who do they know that they could invite to be a part of it? And then we've had very, very good success with physicians because most of those guys have a lot of liquid cash and they don't know what to do with it. And a lot of them, well, I invested in this special surgical hospital, but they cap them out on those deals at like one and a half, two percent is all they allow them to mm. own in those things. And they're always looking for something to be in. And they're typically not called, those are not the guys that called and said, Hey, I got uh, something something else to do with this money. Can I cash out? They're just head down doing their heart surgery or dental surgery or whatever they do, 
And if they can plug a hundred thousand dollars in your deal and forget it, they love it. Yeah. So that's been our biz- biggest like pocket of success is dealing with those guys. So Gwen, are you a little bit frustrated with Tracy for not calling us about, about investment his, opportunities? His, well, we're hoping that you call us for your next six yeah. syndication. Yeah. It, like to your point, it, it, and I get it, it's hard to actually believe this, but if people have decent ideas, there is so much money out there right there, now, especially. Yeah you can make it happen. And the returns right. don't even need to be all that impressive because there's nowhere else to put it. It's kind of a hedge against inflation at this point. Right. Well, I would say one of my longtime friends who's very successful in business, and I look at this with this advice, he said, the two things I've learned, and this guy does like multi-million dollar bill, d- deals. He said, you don't want to be in business with somebody that doesn't have enough money and on the other side of that, you don't want to be in business with somebody who's got too much money. Mm. And I will say we did have a couple of the too much money guys in a couple of these deals, and they were not ideal. I mean, the guys that you think about, oh, they got tons of money. They're just going to put it in. They are more often than not the guys who are like, like what about this? What about this? What about this? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back to the hospital, so the problem dude. was the problem right. with them is they, wa- they got into the weeds too much. They got into the weeds. And so you'd send them the quarterly report and then you spend an hour on the phone with them anyway. Every time. Or not then. Can you jump on with my staff and go over this and then they'll go over it with, I mean, it's just like. Oh, Oh, I can. That would, I could see that. So, I mean, our minimum investment was $50,000. And I think the biggest investment we had was $250,000. But our $250,000 guys was two guys. They were great. They were just easy peasy. Um, but it's the guys that you think like, oh, yeah, they got a lot of money. I know they'll, they'll do this. Yeah. You know, yeah, the guys with a lot of money can also give you a lot of headaches because it doesn't mean as much to them. And they don't care. You're just another like I've got investments here, here and here. And right. if I got to put my thumb on you for something, I well, will. And they're probably aggregating all of the information into some software right. where they need to be able to look at it at the end of a quarter and say, here's how it's doing. So the only way they right. can get the full picture of their investment is by pulling the information uh, right. manually from you. Yeah. They're right. like, well, your performance said we were going to do 12 and a half percent, but based on the first quarter, it looks like we're only on track for nine and a half percent this year. I'm like, dude, we've only bought like five houses. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's like chill. Yeah, right. So, you know, that that's, I thought the money was going to be the hardest thing and it wasn't. It, it was the operational side of the fund that was really harder than anything because we've got, we had the experience and the know-how for the, uh, for the property side. And, and I think, on one of these deals, we brought in a partner that his specific deal was contacts and raising money. And this other guy also told me, he said, never bring on a partner for something that you can hire somebody else and fire. Him. So he was like, yes, never bring on. Totally he's like, don't, agree. don't bring in an attorney as an apart as a partner, pay for the attorney. And if you don't like him, you can fire him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So the same thing, there are people out there that you can pay to raise money right. that would be cheaper than bringing them in as a partner on your deal. Well, I think so we'll just call you give up next any time. part of your GP? Yeah, why give it, it? Next time we need to aggregate some cash, we're just going to call you and be like, hey, Trace, you want this? Help yeah. help, help build some money for us. We'll um, all right. Well, we we end up having to to uh, end it here, unfortunately. I do have two quick questions, though. So I do want to ask you, you have this oh, yeah. uh, insurance 
product that you're you've devised for property managers. Can you just give us a quick rundown on that? Yes. So it's a uh, tenant insurance product that we set up for the property management company as a master policy for them. So Aniquim or you know, renter's place owns the policy. We add our tenants on there and it just makes it easy to track renter's insurance. And then we bill it back to them. We put it in. If you're a property manager listening to this, you've probably heard of the tenant benefit package or resident benefit package. And we started that about five years ago, specifically for insurance. Um, and now it's kind of taken off. It's kind of funny that we hear everybody talking about it. And like, man, we didn't even know that it was going to be a big deal when we started doing it. But you can make a little spread on it, which is nice for a property management company. Absolutely. Um, you know, because I keep telling my staff, we don't need more doors. We just need to maximize what we're making on the current current doors. Cool. Okay. And then also, I wanted to ask you, what's your biggest boneheaded move in business? Oh, shoot. I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, <laughs> Can I answer Glenn, that I've, for him? I've, I've made so many. Um, I, I would say my biggest bonehead move was not paying the few dollars that it would have cost for title insurance on a property. Um, I tell people every time, get your title insurance came back to bite me to the tune of about $18,000. Oh, so no way. For that, you know, $600 policy. Yeah, we'll be fine. We don't need that. It's not like the uh, policy they offer you at Best Buy to extend your warranty. Get mm. title insurance. Get title. Okay, <laughs> good I like no. that one. And then what's a book that you would recommend? Because we're going to give a book to um, anyone who leaves a five-star review and some feedback on Apple podcasts after the show. And so we're going to give this particular book away. Which one is it? What's your favorite one? Okay. So it has nothing to do with real estate. It's just a really great, easy, inspiring read. And it's called the incredible true story of Blondie Baruti. Okay. And it's about a kid who survived the genocide in the Congo and, you know, humping it through the woods for a year with his mom, avoiding getting killed to, you know, everything like, and he played basketball was his passion. And he would walk, you know, like five to 10 miles a day, one way just to get to play basketball and back. And this whole journey eventually brings him to the United States where he played college basketball and then went to Hollywood and it's actually starred in some major motion pictures. Just not like, not like starred, but been in them. And it's just an amazing inspiring story. Okay. It kind of helps me. It helps me kind of put my easy life in perspective. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for that recommendation. And we want to thank you so much, Tracy, for being on the Bootstrapper Show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it. Good seeing you again. It had been too long. Let's, uh, when all this COVID thing goes away, let's be sure to uh, get together at the next Convention. Conference. The next conference. All right. That's right. Eventually they'll have them again. I, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy. All right. Thanks, guys. And this has been Bootstrappers. See you next week. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.